This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. A guy that we haven't talked to in a, in a few years on this show, but he was one of the best kickers in the NFL for a long time, Green Bay and uh, and Vikings, Ryan Longwell. How's it going, Ryan? Very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank yeah. you, sir. Pr- appreciate that. So we, we've, we're calling it the Vikings Voyage for Vindication this week, which, like we just said, players in the locker room don't really care because they weren't around for that 0-9 game against the Saints, but... The Vikings could, in theory, get vindication against the Saints as a franchise, Falcons, if that plays out, and maybe Steelers. So uh, what do you remember most about that championship game against the Saints? Um, what what stands out when you think back to the, the peak moments and the low moments in that game? Like what when you reminisce or do you just try to avoid it mentally altogether, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's funny how like kind of life happens, but to this day, um, you know, Sarah and the kids uh, went to that game. And to this day, because of that game, uh, my kids think, like, New Orleans is the worst city on the planet. Like, <laughs> they don't want anything to do with it because of, of that game. So, I mean, my memories, I mean, I have a couple of them. But, you know, obviously one of them is the uh, the fumble before halftime. I mean, I thought that was putting the game away, um, which, you know, you go in at halftime with uh, not as much momentum. And then, driving down at the end of the game, um, you know, I, I mean, I remember what I was thinking, I remember what I was feeling, and I remember I was feeling, you know, um, in all circumstances, one of the biggest kicks of your life, I was feeling actually really, really calm. So, I mean, I felt like I was, um, you know, really confident. And then, um, obviously, it doesn't go our way. And, so, and then my, my final kind of memory from that is, uh, um, you know, seeing Brett in his locker after the game and just kind of, looking at him and knowing, you know, we uh, we played really well. We just didn't win the game on the scoreboard. And uh, so not a lot of, uh, you know, happy memories, uh, if you will, but uh, um, certainly one of the, uh, you know, one of the games that stands out over my, you know, career, no doubt. Of all the things uh, that went, went wrong at the end of that day, is there one that stands out? I mean, twelve men or the 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 uh, the PI on Ben. Is there one thing that, in your mind, still stands out, Ryan? Well, I thought we had uh, kind of momentum. I thought we were driving to get in. You know, what I mean, what I would call doable field goal range, meaning basically, you know, inside kind of fifty three, fifty four yards, where you know I could swing at my normal pace and and get it there, rather than the fifty seven, fifty eight, where you got to swing a little harder. Um, so I thought we were going well, and it was really that 12 minute in the huddle, which seemed to just snowball a bunch of different things, you know, which is one momentum two going backwards in yardage three, the sideline began getting chaotic. Um, you know, and it just seemed like that thing just set the series, um, of what was to come, you know, in motion. And, 
Um, I actually, you know, for all of us that saw Brett uh, after the game and saw his leg over the next couple of days and how bad he was beat up, I mean, I actually don't even think – I mean, it was a big deal. I'm not saying that. But I actually don't even think the interception was as big of a deal um, only because the guy couldn't literally move, you know. And, and so I think it was that 12 men that kind of just stunted the, all the progress we were making to go kick that winner. Do you think you would have made the longer one? Uh, I, th- I think so. So, I mean, I, all I can judge is, uh, um, you know, how I hit it in pregame. And the thing about, you know, not getting too, uh, you know, detailed here, but the thing about when you play in dome stadiums is it's always colder in pregame because the fans aren't in there. And so the ball doesn't fly as far. And so I hit a 53-yarder in pregame going that same direction that reached the bottom of the net. And the bottom of the net in the Superdome is you know, seven to eight yards behind the goalpost, and that was with it cold, without adrenaline. So I felt like once we got past midfield, I was well within range. And, I, I mean, I was sitting pretty good that day. So uh, I just felt like that was kind of, you know, our time and my time, and, and I was going to put a good hit on it. And then it was not going to be short. I mean, I knew that, that uh, we were well within range. So, uh, Sideline-wise, what transpired there? I, I mean, now so far, after the fact, when, when you talk about uh, the chaos that came up, what started to, to go wrong? Because as I recall, you, you guys called a timeout, right? And and it was coming out of that timeout then that the 12 men occurred. What sort of went wrong there as far as the chaos that did occur on that sideline, Ryan? Well, I mean, I don't know the nuts and bolts of it as far as, you know, offensively play calls and formations, but, I you know, I know – Chili and Bev um, each had, you know, kind of called different things. And, and uh, um, you know, it was different formations, which includes different, you know, whether, um, you know, the fullbacks in the game or not. And, and then, uh, you know, I was so far down the field the other way getting ready to go kick um, that uh, I just saw, you know, you can kind of see communication from afar, even though you don't need to hear it. And I just saw between them and um, even, you know, talking to Murph, um, you know, my special teams coach, Brian Murphy, and, and he was telling them we're still okay, we're still in range, you know, just, just let's not go backwards any further, you know. Um, and uh, so you could kind of tell that it was uh, a little more scramble mode after that than it had been on that drive previously. Ryan Longwell uh, is with us. Ryan Longwell, one of the best kickers in the NFL for uh, for about 15 years, and I think you've you've always been a fan favorite even though – uh, you spent more time in Green Bay, and people hated you for like ten years. But you've probably <laughs> always been a fan favorite. I think people have uh, found a connection with you. What you know, the, the Vikings have they're gonna because they play defense and they they play lower scoring games. They're not gonna play like thirty four to thirty one games this particular team. So it's very possible that something could come to, come down to a, a Kai Forbath field goal or a close kick in these big games, like the one we're talking about, the two thousand nine NFC Championship game. What's it like? You're basically a, and you golf a lot. It's like being a golfer in football pads. You know, it's like mechanics and mental energy and all these things that you talk about breathing. What is it like when you're lining up for a huge kick, like the one that you would have, you know, lined up for in that 2009 NFC championship game when you're kind of on an Island, take, take our audience through that. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the hardest thing is to just say that it's the same kick as everything else, you know? And, and, uh, the hardest thing to do as a kicker in the NFL is to be okay with the big miss. So if you're okay, not that you want to miss the big kick, but if you're okay with the result, meaning all the spotlights on you, you're going to have to answer the media. The fan base is going to be disappointed. Your teammates are going to be disappointed. If you're okay with dealing with that, then that gives you the freedom to kind of go swing away because you're okay with the, what 
ultimately could be the worst result. So, you know, the thing is, is that pressure is solely what you put on yourself. So there's no difference physically in a first quarter 50 yarder than a fourth quarter 50 yarder or an overtime 50 yarder, you know, but obviously what they mean is different. And so the, the biggest thing is to stay in your rhythm, stay in your routine and treat it like every other kick, knowing that you full well are aware of the situation, you know what's riding on it, and you know your leg's probably going to feel a little, you know, a little jellyish, which is all okay. I mean, that's why you kick so many balls. That's why you train so hard to get into that position. But, you know, the, the hardest thing that you see young kickers or kickers that struggle under pressure is they always try to swing too hard, you know, and, and that happens in the NFL just like it does, you know, last night uh, in the college game at the end of regulation. You know, when you when you swing so hard, that ball just darts left. And uh, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. So my whole thing was always, when I was at my best, I was at 80, 85% power. And uh, that's what you try to do, knowing that adrenaline is going to um, actually speed up your leg. And, and you know, the situation is going to speed up your leg. So you actually have to even slow down more to get you back to your 80, 85% power. And so um, that was my whole thing, rhythm and routine. Uh, so 98 to 2009 of 15 as well. Uh, the fan base here, clearly, if they don't believe in curses, they, they are always, uh, there's always trepidation about Vikings games and big games here. Do players in your mind, do players care about that stuff at all? Do players know about that stuff? How, how far removed are players, uh, when it comes to a, a franchise's history, Ryan? Well, I think they're, extremely removed to be honest with you right up until the uh roof caves in on your dome then you start thinking maybe this isn't our year but uh <laughs> other, that being uh that being the exception to the rule um you know you're just uh, honestly it's a very very selfish sport meaning you're just trying to keep your job you're trying to win games for your teammates you're trying to win games for your team you're trying to do what's great in week 10 and in week 12, and then you're trying to, you know, strike while the iron's hot when you get into the playoffs. And so I don't think as a player you really have time to worry about a franchise's history, good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like when you, you know, if you're a rookie for the Patriots, you don't assume that you can, you know, work a little easier because you're always going to have good breaks. Just like if you're, you know, with the Vikings in the playoffs, you just can't assume that it's always going to go against you. So, you're just trying to get better and better prepared for the game plan and, and give your best shot um, when your number's called. And I think that's the mentality of, of most of the NFL players. You know, it's, it's really more of the fan base and the media story. Um, I mean, I can tell you almost every big loss for the uh, Seahawks and the Mariners, you know, growing up as a kid. But, sure. um, you know, when you're a player, you're not really worried about what happened 10 years ago and 20 years ago. Except that 2010 brings up a great point, which, which is this. This is one league in which you can't assume. Like, like this team now can't say, well, we're, we're building something now and we're really good, therefore 18's going to be great. This is one league where, to me, it's completely on a year-by-year basis, and that doesn't mean that you can't build something, but to make an assumption that things are going to continue to go right, as we all saw in 2010, is a leap of faith. You cannot put the same pieces together and expect the same result. There, there's no doubt in this league. I mean, you just look at, uh, you know, what we did to get Brett back, and, and it just wasn't the same, you know. And then, you know, one key guy here or there, one key injury here or there, or even, you know, a touch of complacency sets in that, aha, we got the pieces back together. 
Um, you know, and it's a totally different animal. I mean, you know, not to mention the other guys, but you look at what happened the second Aaron Rodgers went down, you know, with that, uh, that game in Minnesota, you know, I mean, that changed the entire flow, not only of that game, but of their, the Packers rest of the season. And so, you know, you lose the wrong key guy or you just assume that you can plug and play, you know, we'll lose this guy, we'll put another guy in. Um, that's why it's so, so important to not worry about, you know, history or the jinxes or all that stuff. It's so, so important to take advantage while you have a chance. And that's, you know, going back to 2009, I mean, that's why that season just kind of stings eternally is because we had the pieces together. We had momentum. We had, you know, Greg Lewis's catch. We had kind of all those things go our way that year. And when you have those things go your way, man, you have to strike why they aren't hot. Yeah. Ryan Longwell. Hey, before we uh, let you go, this has been awesome. And I know our audience is, uh, is loving this too. Uh, what is, just for fun, what's your favorite behind the scenes Brett Favre or 2009 Viking story that maybe the, the public hasn't heard? Something safe for radio, but what's something that, some fun anecdote <laughs> or some fun story that you could share with us? Well, I mean, there's a, a ton of fun ones. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, just being around him for so many years, I've heard, you know, heard a lot of his spiels and, and seen a lot of his stuff. But uh, um, I, I just remember, uh, um, you know, when we were in uh, Cleveland was our opener in 09. And, you know, Brett, like myself, had come from the Packers for so many years. And we go to the locker room, and, I, and when he gets there, I'll never forget, he looks at his locker. And uh, he kind of looks at me and looks back, and it's obviously his Viking stuff, and he goes, man, I may be too old for white pants, <laughs> you know, and for him, you know, a guy who'd always been in the yellow pants and everything, yep. he's thinking about, you know, putting on the white uniform and the white pants and, uh, you know, at his age, uh, may not be the, uh, I don't know, the, uh, the sexiest ensemble he was putting on, but he always had a way, I will say this about him, he always had a way of taking, like, the expectation and the pressure and the heat off any moment, and, uh, that's why he was so good at guys rallying around him because whether it was in the huddle, whether it was in the locker room, whether it was the night before, he always had a way of, of breaking the ice and making guys feel relaxed. And that's probably his biggest asset that he had going for him. He did look kind of weird in white pants. He did. Like, <laughs> well, the, the Viking jersey looked super odd. That that helmet on Favre looked completely it, it, foreign. It looked like, even in person, it looked like a Photoshop job, yes. like an in-person Photoshop job, Ryan. It was completely <laughs> bizarre, Ryan. Yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, you know, we've, after so many years of seeing one thing, uh, you know, changes uh, change makes you look at things a little differently. <laughs> hey, uh, it's, uh, it's different. Hey, Brad's done now. I, I think he has announced or is about to that he's going to uh, step down from coaching altogether. What will be your uh, your remembrances of Brad Childress as a coach? Well, I, you know, I thought, uh, in all honesty, I thought Chili's best asset in. in really, without without any question, was his ability of player evaluation. I thought he was one of the best um, guys evaluating talent, evaluating free agency, evaluating. I mean, you look at the roster he built um, early on, you know, and I know uh, Rick was around, but not right. really in his role he's in now. But, I mean, when you're bringing in Hutch and, and Chester Taylor and myself and drafting Sidney Rice and Percy Harvin and, you know, even uh, T-Jack and, um, you know, really getting, you know, Ben Lieber and, and bringing in all these guys where, you know, within a couple of years we were pretty competitive. And then, you know, three years down the road, we were, you know, one of, if not the best teams in the league. And so um, his talent evaluation 
I always thought in player acquisition was really, really strong. And then, um, you know, every memory I have of Chile is from his infamous night before speeches. I mean, just, you know, really, really crazy stuff, <laughs> whether it was plastic chains, whether it was game day tickets, whether it was, uh, um, you know, deck of cards, whether it just <laughs> all stuff off the wall that, uh, I mean, we could write books and books and books about, uh, but, uh, his, uh, his speeches were, uh, were notorious on Saturday night meetings. Yeah. He one time brought the media in to show, like, he, he showed some footage of buffaloes herding together to thwart, like, a pack of lions. And, like, this is the type of stuff that I show the team. And it was, like, a bunch of TV and newspaper guys in a room, like, I don't know, man. I don't know if that's going to work, Chili, but you do you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've heard some great uh, coaching uh, uh, speeches, you know, uh, great in quotes. Um I don't think anything will top uh, Leslie Frazier's one where we get in there. Uh, guys, we think the roof of the dome might fall in, but we'll let you know as it goes on. <laughs> <laughs> was, was that it? Uh, oh, the night before the Giants game? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, how should we handle this one? <laughs> oh. Yeah, but other than that, uh, which is hard to top, um, you know, they, uh, yeah, everything else uh, was, was definitely uh, Chili's. Yeah, he was. He was really good at it. <laughs> they sent you to Detroit, and then and then the worst thing is they made you play that last game against the Bears uh, at uh, on the, the campus here, and Cluey's the one that said they're going to get somebody killed. They can't play the game, and the Vikings said this is nonsense. Our punter's completely off his rocker, crazy. And sure enough, Brett and it was Favre. <laughs> yeah, Brett almost got like killed, unconscious, foaming on the ground. And yeah. to this day, yeah. to this day, that is why. They don't allow players to talk after concussions now because if you recall, we all thought, well, Favre's dead. You know, he's not coming out. Totally. He comes in the press room and gives this whole, you know, soliloquy Farvian thing of, I think I'm concussed, but I, and goes on and on and on. <laughs> the greatest. I mean, that that whole season, don't forget, we were stuck in Philadelphia for four days too on Christmas. Then we played Tuesday night football there. So I was stuck with you. Yeah, that whole season between the roof caving in, the Monday night football game as the home team in Detroit, the uh, four-day stay on Christmas in Philly for a Armageddon blizzard that maybe had a dusting of a quarter <laughs> inch. And uh, so we played Tuesday night football, and then uh, we play outdoor in TCF, uh, and uh, Favre gets KO'd in his last game ever when he wasn't even supposed to play in the game, anyways, mind you. He went from out and, uh, he, from out on the injury report on Monday morning to playing in that game. I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah, yes, I rode I rode to the game in his uh, truck uh, with him because we thought it was going to be his last game. You know, kind of just reminiscing about old times. And uh, so I asked him. I said, uh, "Kid, what do you you know what are you thinking? This is kind of it, right?" And he goes. You know what? I think I might play tonight. <laughs> what? Uh, so, yeah, that was a curveball to us all. Amazing stuff, man. Hey, Thank Ryan, you, Ryan, thanks for the time. That we appreciate great. it. And uh, hopefully, you're enjoying some warmer weather, unlike us right now. Enjoy the golf. Yeah, no, we're good. We're good in the golf weather here. So, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank awesome. you very all much. Right, Ryan Longwell. Man, that was great.